Welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill, and as a psychologist, it's been my profession to connect with people's stories. And when you think about it, it's the conversations that we have with ourselves and with others that truly shape us. It's through exploring these stories that we start to find a pathway around the magnificent and the remarkable question. So what does it actually take to live a standout life? Throughout this podcast, I sit down with influential women and a few good men and we chat about how they live a life of purpose while still making progress. We dig into their stories, both the successes and the struggles, and in doing so, we get some amazing insights into what it takes to live big and ultimately how they've found the wins in this crazy, busy world. So let's dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. I had so much fun and it was such a delight to sit down and have a conversation with Shelley Horton, who is one of Australia's leading lifestyle and pop culture commentators across all forms of media, print, online, television and radio, which is where she actually started her journalism career. We spoke about how a young girl from Kingaroy now finds herself commentating at least three times a week with Channel 9 across the Today Show, Today Extra and Weekend Today and everything that she's done in her journalism career throughout. We spoke about the struggles, the doubts, the fears, concerns, and in particular, a moment where she basically said yes, where she faked it till she made it. And really that became, I guess, a bit of a hallmark around a lot of what she's done in her career, which is just say yes, have a crack and put yourself out there. She was also really real and really honest, which Shelley often is in the conversation that she has. She calls out the things that that we don't often call out in society, the things that are taboo. And in particular, she she dives deep into why she's made it her choice to be childless and, and why it's ridiculous that that topic is even still taboo in this day and age. But how, when she was younger, she felt like a freak. And so it feels like a really important conversation to keep having. This is real, it's humorous and it's fun and I know that you are going to enjoy the conversation as much as I enjoyed sitting down with Shelley Horton. Shelley Horton, welcome to the studio. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. Look, I'm actually going to start by rattling off a couple of kind of household names. So things like Today Show, Today Extra, Weekend Today, Mornings with Carrie Ann, The Glass House, George (laughs) Negus Tonight, The Catch Up, Mamma Mia TV, ABC Radio and Triple J. Now the common denominator is (laughs) you've been on them all. (laughs) My question for you is, like you must get so used to being recognised when you're out and about. Do you ever have moments where people have a sense of of ownership over what you need to say or how you've maybe treated or commented people on, oh, on TV. Yeah. And because I'm really opinionated, um, I don't sit on the fence. So I've got a definite point of view. So obviously people will have a definite point of view for or against what I've said. Um, so yeah, I've had people particularly something like the lockout laws um, in Sydney, which has been quite controversial. I'm for them. I live there and I love that there's less violence. Um, But I've had people come up to me in a shop going, you should be ashamed of yourself. (laughs) And it's actually quite confronting because I say it on TV out to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, but really I'm just talking to Carl Stefanovic. Like, you know, it's not not like a massive confrontation. And also, like, the people that I argue with on TV, we're trained to argue. So as soon as that little red light goes off, 
we have a hug and chat and it's like there's no actual aggression or anything. So when you're out in public, sometimes there can be. Um, How do you deal with that? Uh, it, it does rattle me a little bit sometimes. Mm. And if if they're a bit aggressive, I find the best thing is just to be completely passive and just go, I'll take that on board and, you know, thanks for, thanks for your pe- feedback. Like just don't get argy-bargy because you just never know what's going to happen. No, I can imagine the passion and the yeah. <laughs> the forcefulness that some of that comes but, with. Um, but, yeah, and I mean, I, I honestly don't get recognised that often or if I do, I don't notice. I was just down in Melbourne on the weekend with a girlfriend and she's like, I got recognised about 10 times in the weekend. And in Sydney, that doesn't really happen at all. And I wonder if it's just that Sydney's too cool for school. So they're not going to let you know that they recognise you. They're not going to say anything. But, yeah, we had people coming up to our table and she was just like, this is ridiculous. You're not even famous. (laughs) You need those mates, right? That's my bestie. Thank you. (laughs) Who are you? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) I love it. It's, uh, yeah, no, trying to find those moments and those people who kind of bring you back down to earth. Now, you grew up in Kingaroy. Kingaroy. Famous for the peanuts. What was that like? Um, I look back at it now and I realise it was amazing. But as you can imagine, as I did my entire schooling there too, like I didn't even get sent to private school. I went to Kingaroy State High. Um, And mum and dad were teachers in town and everyone knows everyone's business. But it's one of those things now I look back and go, oh my God, that was idyllic. And we could, there was no worry about safety or anything, you know, it was just roaming the streets on our pushies and all that sort of stuff. Um, But I was pretty desperate to get out of town. And um, my mum, I think, gave me the best uh, basically sex advice ever when she said, I don't want you having sex, you know, with before you leave home. And I'm like, well, that's a little bit harsh. And she's yeah. like, here's the deal. You have sex with someone in Kingaroy, you'll end up a peanut farmer's wife and stay here for the rest of your life. Or study hard, go to university, do whatever you want. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to take option two. Yeah. So I did. That's what, what I did. a smart mum. Right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> she also get, told me to put um, that the best ever contraception is Panadol. Put one between your knees and don't let it drop. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, mum's like her uh, advice is a little bit off. The wives' off. tales yeah. of King Arroyo, right? <laughs> yeah. That could have been you. <laughs> I actually have um, my biggest regret in my life. You know how you're not supposed to have regrets? Everyone goes, you can't regret anything. I have a regret and it's a massive regret. Because I'd grown up then, I was so desperate to get out of Kingaroy. I went to university in Brisbane and then I went down, I was working in Melbourne and the Kingaroy, the women who organised the Kingaroy show um, rang me to see if I'd come home and be the peanut princess and I said no. Oh, wow. I could have been the peanut princess. <laughs> I want to be the oh. peanut princess so badly now. Do you think, like, is timing gone? Like, oh, is this... I, well, it's normally just, like a 17-year-old girl. I don't know at 43 <laughs> if I can go back and shove this poor girl off the bale of hay and grab... It's actually a tiara of peanuts that's been spray-painted Oh, my gold. God. Someone needs to oh get you one God. of those. <laughs> I'm like, there's a reality mm. TV show with this. Like, we've yeah. got to do... Just fulfil that that one regret. Let's go back and yep. have a do-over. Yeah, and, you know, it, there's so much talk about disruption, right? Yeah. <laughs> like all the industries that need to be disrupted. Maybe it's prime for the picking. <laughs> I want to be intended. getting that, that um, 
big sash and putting it on the, the winning bull at the King Roy show. That oh, would be my awesome. Gosh. Oh, what could have been? What could have been the peanut princess? It's just divine. So then you did, so you did leave. You took your mum's advice yeah. and went and had sex with people outside of King Roy. <laughs> yeah, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mum. Went to university What and, and did journalism. Yes. What attracted you to journalism? Um... Believe it or not, I actually wanted to be in public relations when I, f- I, don't, I don't even know what public relations was. I'm still unsure about what it is now. Uh, and then I kind of fell into, I was, you know, I was very good at English and all of that sort of thing. And then I did work experience in King Roy at 10.71am, all time hits, and quite fell in love with doing radio. So that's sort of when I got led into journalism. And then First year of uni, like, first of all, like, population of King Roy when I lived there was, like, 5,000 people. Like, it's tiny. 10,000 if you include all of the farms and all that sort of stuff. But I went to University of Queensland and just the uni was 20,000 people. And I was just, like, from this big fish small pond to, what's going on here? Yeah, was that an adjustment? It was, yeah, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. And and also I, I discovered boys and drinking, which is not a great combo, okay? Um and so I failed my first subject that I'd ever failed in my life. Um, and I think it was journalism ethics, what does that say? But um, I realised that I actually had to be responsible for myself and it wasn't up to mum and dad to nag me to study and do stuff like that. And so I kind of threw myself in and then I ended up topping my course in, in journalism and it was, in radio was my absolute love. And I don't know, I just got this this passion. And I was so lucky. Basically, they choose the top five students to do like an internship one day a week at ABC Radio in Brisbane. Um, We didn't get paid for it. We didn't get credit points for it. All of that's changed. But we were, you know, trailblazers. Doing the hard yards back then. (laughs) But it meant that we actually had one day of real work experience every every week um, for that final semester. And you can, you can't buy that for experience. It Did was you get to incredible. be on the microphones? Yeah. Or were you doing the intern yeah. kind of way? No, everything. Wow. Absolutely everything. And also sometimes I'd also work on weekends so I could get extra work done, particularly then they didn't have very many staff on, so I'd be able to voice a report or something. And and then you also knew the system and you knew how to edit, you know how to, you know, do all of the things. And that's how I ended up getting my job down in Melbourne. And was there a particular area of journalism that, so obviously the radio was where you kind radio of was definitely my got favorite. your feet. I was <laughs> too scared to say I wanted to be in TV because I've never been a size eight blonde, like I'm a curvy girl. And so I just didn't have the confidence to say that I wanted to be on TV. So radio was kind of like an easier option. Um, but then once I got into radio, I landed with ABC in Melbourne and I was a crime reporter. I love crime. Was there was there one that stood out? Was Not there a particular one? one? I mean, no. my, in I think I did it for about four years, and I, in that time, I saw seven dead bodies out on murder, like full wow. on murder hunts. What I covered was the, the first day. one like when you saw, like I'm well, not, without going into the again, gory detail, what was your response? I'm going to my mother up. I feel like yeah. I'm dumping her on everything. <laughs> but she actually, I, it was very sad. It was a, the Kew Cottages fire in Melbourne. Seven disabled men had been locked in their room, rooms and the fire killed them. Mm. Um, and I was the first journalist on the scene. I'd only been in the job a week and I was doing live crosses and it was, I rang my mum going, mum, mum, I'm leading the bulletin. You won't believe it. Seven guys are dead and I'm the first one here. And she just went, 
think about what you just said to me and ring me back when you're a human being. Wow, yeah. And I'm like, whoa, I needed that because it was so exciting to to be getting the story first. Yeah. And you've got to be very careful. Like I, I worked um, very heavily on the Jaden Lesky murder, which was a 14-year-old baby who was killed in Moi outside of Melbourne. And in the nine days I was in Moi, I filed 119 stories. Like there was so much happening. So you do get an adrenaline buzz and you do feel like you own the story and so... And you're waiting for the next bit of evidence. Absolutely. You're waiting for the next we're bit of camped case. outside the police yeah. station. We were with the policemen as they were raking through the dump trying to find the mm. body. Like, it's intense sort of stuff. Mm. Um, I was also the only female um, crime reporter at that time, so it was kind of very blokey and I was trying to out-bloke the blokes kind of thing. <laughs> um, and then it, I ended up moving to London and it was it was New Year's Eve and I was on holidays in Ireland and I rang mum and dad, you know, to say um, Happy New Year and mum said, oh, they found Jaden Lesky's body, he was in the dam. And I instantly got this, I've got to come back, that's my story. And mum's like, no, you quit your job and move to London. You, but you, that's what happens yeah, is you so get so cool. invested in it. Yeah. It's Did you, really... Those words from your mum, have they kind of rung true in, in other areas yeah. in terms of bringing that human element back to yeah, what you do. Also, but I think, I think that once you realise what you're doing is not the norm, um, you get more used to it. You're, and you're, it's also important to find other people who are doing that job that's not the norm so that you can have a bit of a, a debrief. Like I've never felt like I needed to see a counsellor or anything with anything I've seen in my job, but I know a lot of people who do, and I absolutely admire them for it. I think, to me, like going to see someone like you is just like having a grease and oil change. Like yeah, just yeah. make sure the car's running properly. Um, but I've just haven't ever really. I've just been fascinated more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. So you went to London. What were you doing yeah. in London? So I had the perfect Bridget Jones fake it till you make it moment. Mm. This is like, if anyone wants to uh, have that power of yes, this is the story for that. I um, So I got a job as a lineup producer, which if anyone in TV knows, is so boring. You're correcting what do grammar. They do? Yeah, you're basically like writing the straps at the bottom of the screen, making sure there's no grammatical errors and spelling mistakes. You just, it's kind of like a sub-editor for TV. Um and I had never worked in TV. I'd only been working in, in radio. And all of the journos were out on stories. And the sports presenter, is he was a bit of a coke addict. So he'd had this, like, absolute blinder. And he came in and his voice was really, like, nearly gone. So it, it was where I worked was called Channel One. It was like Sky News. So it was a bulletin on the hour, every hour. And he did this first bulletin. And then at the end, his voice just sort of went... <laughs> And, like, no words would come out. And so the executive producer, Virginia Troussard, such an English name, she was like, I need someone to read the sports news. Everyone else, Shelley, did you ever read the news on TV in Australia? Yes. Yes, I did. I have no problem with doing that. Never um, in my life love it. <laughs> had I ever done anything like that. So, Was there a moment where you kind of went, Okay, now I'm going to have to step up into this. No, I'm like I'm a complete fraud. I'm and this all over is it. just completely I'm going to take it. Fake it till you make Love it. it. This is my this is my chance. Um, and it was sport with all those really hard names and stuff. <laughs> And I'm not good at that sort of thing. Because you're close to Europe there oh, as well, right? It was like so, so hard. <laughs> um, 
And also because it was a really low budget, you know, kind of 24-hour news station, instead of having an auto cue operator, I had a foot pedal like an old sewing machine to do my <laughs> own auto cue. And because I was so nervous, my leg was shaking, so then the words were shaking on the auto cue. It was an absolute nightmare, but no one watching would have seen any of that. What they saw was me sit down with this cheeky grin and kind of that strap yourself in, people. This is going to be bumpy, but it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. And I just kind of smiled and smirked and got my way through the bulletin, made a lot of mistakes, like I did, and then would kind of go, I think, or oops, you know. And then um, at the very end, because I was rushing to finish it, I was just reading the words. Instead of saying Plymouth, I said Plymouth. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, In I can't Australian reco- accent. <laughs> cannot recover from this. And um, anyway, I finished and by then they'd called an actual, you know, TV presenter to come in and do the next bulletin. So I only did that one. And the switchboard lit up, but again, they were complaints like, oh, stupid kangaroo, what would she know? So the next day, the CEO called me into his office and I was terrified. I thought I was going to get fired. I wasn't, didn't even have the right working visa. Like I was just going to get kicked out of the country. And he's like, hmm, so you read the sport yesterday. And I'm like, yeah, um, I was helping out, filling in. He's like, I watched it and I just laughed the whole way through. And you know how they say some people have got it? You've got it. And I'm going to give you your own entertainment show. Wow. I had my own entertainment what show in London. What was your first London. reaction when I, he said that? I lost words. <laughs> I was just like, I was ready to pack my bags and go home. And so this was a, it was part of the, the bulletin. And so every day I um, had to get together, movie reviews, gig guides, um, all free tickets to everything. My flatmates even had a roster on the fridge of who was going to come with me <laughs> to events. Who's your BFF this yeah, week, right? Yeah, yeah, It was amazing. And so, yeah. Was there ever, like even even after that conversation with the CEO and you've walked out of there and gone, okay, that, that did a complete pivot to what yeah. I thought that was going to be. <laughs> Hold on here. What was the what was the residing emotion right I then in that so moment? I was so excited. Yeah. Because it's kind of like I hadn't been brave enough to say what I really wanted and then I got it anyway. I got more than I could have asked for. Like I would never have asked for something like that. Mm. So it was pretty amazing. Do you think people do that? Do you think people are scared to put out yes. what they actually oh really God, want? Oh, my God, yes. And I think particularly in the media, I mean, it's just nothing but tall poppy when it comes to the media and... I mean, I, and my confidence goes up and down. So, you know, I had, when I came back to Australia, I got a job at Channel 9 and I had, I was on air every day in London and they told me I was too fat to be on air. So they took me off air and I was like 15 kilos lighter than I am now. And I just, you know. How, how, how does that conversation go down? You're like, not the right look. Right. Not the right look for our station. Um, and it was 1999, you know, in yeah. and, oh, my God, I I was shattered. And there was, a, there was a lot of crying on the couch. Like, you know, I'm not going to pretend and sugarcoat it and go, I just bounced back the next mm. day. No, I was ruined. Um, what helped you through that? I just worked really hard and then... I went to, I worked at a current affair as a producer and I just, I was just feeling like I needed to lick my wounds a bit and so I went back to ABC and I got a job as a newsreader on Triple J there and that was really, really fun Um, 
and I felt, again, it was just a much more supportive. It's kind of like going back to auntie is, you know, yeah. feels good for me. Um, but I was not being true to myself because I really, really wanted to be on TV. And I did a goal-setting course, which sounds so crazy because I'm a Virgo and the most organised person you'll meet, but I did a goal-setting course and it changed my life. And part of it was writing a letter to yourself on the best day of your life. In this case, it had to be a work day if you wanted to get your work goals. And it just helped me break it back down. So once you've got your best day, you can then go, well, what's my five-year plan, three-year plan? And then actually broke it down to six-month plan, one-month plan, daily plan. So I'd set myself a daily goal of instead of going into Triple J with my hair and pigtails and ripped jeans, as I always did, going camera ready. And like... It only took a little while for people like, oh, you're going to a funeral, have you got a job interview, to just go, no, I've decided I want to get back into TV. And just saying those words, no, I've decided I want to get back into TV. No one really did judge me the way I thought that they no, would. Yeah, and but then it changed you. six weeks after doing that, someone came up and said, I remember that you said you wanted to get back into TV. They've got this show, George Ningus Tonight, starting. I reckon you should audition for it. And I got into t- back into TV. Yeah, powerful, right? Yeah. So, being clear on what it is. Yeah. And then speaking And brave it out. enough to say it out loud. Yeah. And it is scary. It's really, it's really scary. scary. Yeah, it's really scary. And there are times where the fear of what we think will happen actually doesn't happen. I know. <laughs> at all yeah, in that that's space. Yeah, that's so true. So true. And, and also, you've just got to get over, um, you know... The number of times you just feel like a fraud, like, oh, I'm going to be found out any moment, you know, when actually I've worked really hard, I'm good at what I do, but there is still that fear inside you. Do you think having been in the entertainment industry and connected with so many people in that space, do you think that's a common fear for people the, that they that feel like a fraud? fraud? I might yeah. get called out at yeah, any absolutely. point in time. I th- uh, I th- absolutely, and particularly... There's like an added level of pressure when you're working in the media because there's so many people behind you who want your job. So I used that used to really, you know, get my stomach juices all, you know, curdled. But now I'm like, yeah, they want my job and they can wait their turn because I've worked really hard to get my job. You know, and I, and I just sit in my power a bit because I have, as you rattled off, I've done a lot of jobs. I've worked in a lot of different areas. And to me, every time you work somewhere, you just take the best bits out of it and then bring it into the next thing. Or if it was really shitty, then you just go, I never want to accept that again. Yeah, right. And that's just as powerful. Knowing what you don't want. Yeah. You know? What don't you want? Um, I don't forward. want uh, a really overbearing boss. So I, I think I have a bit of a problem with authority. I tend to be quite argumentative, um, which now I get paid to be argumentative. But um, so many clashes with bosses over my lifetime. And now I'm just like, hey, I'm the boss. I'm not really going to fight with me. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I everything I say is the brilliant. Best boss, yes. <laughs> I love so, it. So yeah, that's kind of um, that's been a big one, and I don't think I will ever go back to working for someone else full time. So yeah, so let's go there. So you yeah. stepped into your own business for yeah. the last year. Is that right? Not quite. Not We're only we oh well, we're coming up to a year um, almost now in February. Right, amazing. Yeah. So, and the business is called Shell Shocked. Shell Shocked Media. Yeah. Tell me about it. What's okay, this? so it was kind of, um, I got the idea, I was working at Mamma Mia, um, which is that massive women's website, and 
I was set up all there at all of their video channels and I was in charge of all the budgets and it was a massive, massive job. And it was the first time that I'd really been involved in the commercial side of media rather than purely editorial. And it just made me realise how much money's out there and that everyone wants to do video and you need to do video these days because it's just, the stats are like astounding. It's, it's something like by 2018, 87% of information consumed on the internet will be video. Like that blows my mind even now because yeah. I'm like, I still like reading online. It's all going to be video. So it was kind of like jump in now. And if I hadn't done that job at Mamma Mia, I wouldn't have had all of those skills for the budgeting and and staffing and stuff like that. So I decided to just like make the leap. Made the leap with my husband. So in one month, we moved house, we both quit our jobs, we started a new business and we got married in Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Just That's cram it in right. <laughs> to take on. That is a lot. So it's been amazing, terrifying. Uh, there have been moments where I've been crying on the couch, just going, what have I done? I just want to go back to someone paying me a wage. And we've doubled our income. So what's an incredible story? And as you say, going through, <laughs> I always go, where do I start yeah, from there? Because yeah. it is so true. And I often talk to people and they go, oh, there's so much change in the world. You know, how do we stop the change? And yet I think as human beings, when things start to get a bit stagnant, we actually throw change at it anyway. Yeah, right? So then that's the moment we go, sure, we'll get married and we'll move house. And we'll do this. And, and we'll, we'll start yeah, a new yeah, business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the stuff that we thrive on. Yeah. What terrified you? And then in a moment I'm going to ask you what, what surprised you. So what terrified you? The thing that you? terrified me was the income consistency of it. So I would get an amazing job that paid really well and it would be one month of work and then the next month I might not have much. But as my husband said, stop saying you don't have much. Like I do Channel 9 three days a week, you know, I I MC events, we do media training. So I think part of, if anyone else is starting a business, part of my advice to them would be make sure you have different arms to your business. So it's not just one thing you're relying on because that inconsistency has really um, unsettled me. And I like to see the amount of money in the bank. I like to know what's going to be there. I like to plan my days and to have that inconsistency thrown at me. But I've had some really, really good advice from lovely people. And first of all, it's like any, any human being who's had a business has just gone, oh yeah, yeah. It's inconsistent. You'll get used to that. <laughs> Welcome fine. to the world. Yeah, that's <laughs> the first year's a shit, right? So I've and once someone said to me, sometimes you reap, sometimes you sow, and so if it's not busy, I'm using that time to get ideas together for different video series and and actually be active in that downtime. Um, I'm not at the stage where I'm go, oh, it's downtime. I can just lie on the beach. Not at that stage yet. <laughs> I'm still a little bit panicked. Um, but I think I'm going to get there. Like I really, it's, I don't know, it just seems to come along nicely for me. Often what can happen is particularly taking that step into a business is we start to evolve or expand our identity, so who we are. And as you said before, you've gone from being an employee in that space and now being 
basically the the boss lady, the right? Boss lady, like, right? <laughs> yeah. How has that identity expansion been for you? What has that been? Come with any kind of hurdles? Or has that come pretty uh, smoothly? Is it bad that I say I love it? <laughs> Not at <laughs> I really all. Love it. Not at all. I think that people also. almost respect you more when you have the balls to start. Well, I I, I don't like saying having the balls. I have the ovaries of steel. (laughs) To to go out on my own and to actually have to generate my own income and to be out and doing the hustle. I've actually found people are actually really impressed with that. So I haven't, that hasn't been a negative. I haven't seen the downside from what other people say. The downside is all in my head of... You'll never get another job. This is this is too hard. Or and sometimes you got it because it's only my husband and I. You've got to all do the nitty gritty stuff, which is not fun. Like but bad what, statements, right? Yeah, right. Like <laughs> and projections and budgets and ew. Like that's not fun at all. But you can't. I kind of weigh that up and go. And then I get to go out on a TV shoot, and it's fantastic. So yeah. yeah, it's pretty good. And you get to make the choices about which ones to do. So you alluded to you know, some of that kind of doubt and, and some of those yeah. those messages in our head that kind of come out and play. What helps you through that? Because I think that's common for a lot of people who will be listening who go, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. You just start a business yeah. um, and get married and all of that yeah, as well. Yeah. But there's also, we've, we've all got our own goals, whatever that yeah. is, however big or however, like the small ones can be as hard to tackle. Yeah. And often what gets in the way is that doubt. What helps you to address that? So it actually happens. So what helps you overcome So that? something goes wrong, like a client, for ex- this is a true story, client, I had a, a month's worth of work that was all going to be up in Brisbane. I was so excited and I really wanted to do it. So I was like doubly excited and it fell through at contract signing, like at the absolute last minute. I had already told Channel 9 I wasn't available for a month. I'd cleared the decks and it fell through. So then what did I do? Cried. And I don't think it's that bad to say that you cried. Like I cried. I was so disappointed and so frustrated and I didn't really think, I didn't even let into my head to think that it might not happen. Um very important lesson to learn because now I don't celebrate anything until the contract sign. So I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. I can't wait to do that. Once we have a contract, we can talk further. <laughs> so it's an important lesson to learn. But um, yeah, I'm a big crier, so I will just have a ball. And then once I've got that out, it just feels a bit better. The other thing I have done is I have been speaking to a psychologist and just checking in on my mental health because I think that I get very anxious and my my head, my mind just races so much. So I'm very lucky. I see Dr. Tim Sharp, Dr. Happy from the Happiness Institute. Oh, really? And he he's almost a business coach as well. So as well as going, hey, you're okay and it's okay to feel upset because you were really excited about that contract. But it hasn't happened now, so what are you going to do to move forward, you know? It kind of, I, I, I like having someone, a professional, to bounce off with that sort of thing. It makes me feel like I'm taking a bit more charge rather than just I'm being battered around by 
by clients, I guess. Yeah, and someone who can bounce back and kind of yeah. go, let's let's reframe this or look at it in a different way. And I totally agree. The reality is we do get upset because we love it and we're passionate about it. And that's yeah. really okay to go, yeah. you know what? Because if we weren't, then we're apathetic about it. And Absolutely. how can we deliver, deliver best on that? I want to round back. So you said before around just the sheer amount of uh, video yeah. that's going to be out there and everyone's going to be across video. Yeah. So when you say everyone, who do you mean when you say I'm like, talking about just about everyone. every single business in Australia should have video on their website. Um, it should be even, you know, you're doing a podcast, we should be filming this right now and then it could be video content. Like it's yeah. just one of those things. So there are some people who will just want to listen. There are some people who want to watch. Um, then you could turn this into a, a chat show kind of, you know, scenario where that could be different. You could then have people log in and they get their top tips of of what they need to improve their mood that day or how to stay focused or how to be less busy. There's just so many. And that's just me looking at you and coming up with ideas yeah. off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, what do you say to people who go, yeah, 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 but, you know, we haven't got anything to say. Um, no one really wants well, to kind of listen to I don't really associate with people like no. that. <laughs> you know, yeah. like the people who I'm hanging around with or the people who I work with are really motivated and most of them have pretty big goals. But I also work with big companies. Um, I'm an ambassador for Triumph Bras, which is awesome because finally my boobs are earning me some money. <laughs> um, but they had very little video content because they didn't really know how to do it. And I'm so I'm in the videos as well as producing them and directing them and my husband shoots them and then he edits them. So we are kind of like a little two-man team. But you sort of make them fun and you make it relatable and you say things like boobs rather than say breasts yeah. and, you know, stuff like that. And they have had such great feedback from the videos. They've absolutely loved it. And I found one of their bra stylists, um, she can just look at a woman and say what size bra oh. she'd be. And so I did a, a video on her, like, we called her the bra whisperer. <laughs> and that just, people loved that, you know. And yeah. I think what companies need to do is get someone who thinks video to come in and come up with some ideas because if you're in your business, sometimes you can't see it because you're too busy with the day-to-day. There might be so many opportunities and it could be a really cheap thing where you set up your iPhone and, and do it that way or it could be let's production. get a crew, you know, yeah. and hair and makeup and all that sort of stuff. One of the things I've loved from having a glimpse and looking at some of your videos is the use of humour. Yeah. I think it's so powerful <laughs> and such an important thing. Like you say, let's say boobs yeah. and vagina and ovaries. Oh, and I know. Well, that's there, the right? series I do with Dr. Judy Mansberg. <laughs> brilliant. So How we came up with that yeah. because we were like... Um, things you can't talk about on TV because we're like, it's just not okay to talk about periods. Why not? Like, we need to know more about this. And so Dr. Ginny is a friend of mine and now a dear friend now that we've been working together for so long. But um, we said we have to have humour, otherwise it's a bit icky. Like, and if we want to talk about how long is the average penis, it's going to be embarrassing unless I'm mucking around with a penis puppet and saying, how long is the average long, you know? And we just bounce off really well because the thing is with this series is Ginny's giving very sound medical advice the entire time. So we just went, what do we want to do? We almost want to be like the Dolly Doctor but without without the magazine. So if you're going to Google how much blood do you lose in a period? Now, how much blood do you think you lose in a period? I would literally have no idea. I thought like, uh, seriously, couple cups, of cups. cups. Yeah. <laughs> 60 mils. 
like two oh, shot glasses. Seriously? Over seven days. <laughs> I know, right? And Surely I'm like, we could get that done in an hour, right? <laughs> but isn't that yeah, interesting where you just go, we don't talk about it no. even amongst our girlfriends. Yeah. And Which, this is great information. And those videos, people love them and they're grossed out by them. And I love that they're grossed out by them. And I love it that my dad's like, I won't be watching them. And I'm like, that's okay, Dad. You're not the, <laughs> the target market. The King of Roy don't yeah. really need to You're know. not the target market. Yeah. Yeah. It's really How fun. important then is humour if people are going to be doing more and more I video? Think, I think it doesn't, like, I wouldn't consider myself a comedian or anything like that, but I think you need to be bubbly and you can be funny without telling jokes. So I think it's definitely about um, seeing the lighter side and bringing that in. And I do that on TV and in any situation that I can. Um, you know, I was at dinner on Saturday night and made the waiter laugh so much that he actually spilt the wine. And to me, that was like, I've won the night. <laughs> I am so happy. Um, you know, that sort of thing. So it doesn't, I don't think you need to hire a comedian to do some script writing for you. It's just about trying to lighten up. And I don't think you need to be wedded to your brand and say, that would not be appropriate for, you know, 1% of the people who buy this brand. Screw that 1%. Let's actually open it up. And you might get some new customers because they feel comfortable enough to come in look at those videos and go, I might buy some of that product now. Yeah, I love it. It's kind of cool. One of the things I did want to ask you with that humour, I think one of the, you seem to walk that line of being and bringing humour and lightness and, and laughter and fun to really important conversations without being self-deprecating, which I think is very Australian to do. It's also yeah. very female to do. Yeah, um, I do a but, bit. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I do a I bit. I think you have a way of not not kind of pulling yourself down or others yeah. down while still making I light of the situation. I certainly don't want to bring other people down because that's just... But, like, I was <laughs> walking out of my apartment the other day and one of the ladies that I'd only met once or twice said, oh, I just saw you on TV. It must be really easy because all you do is talk and laugh. Yes. Yeah, if we yeah. can keep that it's facade really up. really <laughs> easy. 25 years in the business to make it seem that easy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but is that true, the true art of it? Yeah, it I looks... think it is. And it is, I mean, I don't get nervous doing TV. Like, I used to, but I've done it so often and it's live three days a week, so it's just what I do. And you just, I kind of, you know when you're playing netball and you're on your toes the whole time, so I was like... Yeah. Let's go. Here for, yeah. Ready to move. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. And just you don't know what's going to happen and that's part of the fun. If you decide and learn to enjoy that rather than be terrified that you might say the wrong thing. I say the wrong thing all the time, all that time. But sometimes it's kind of funny. Like or it's, or it's a bit ridiculous. Sometimes like I won't have done a great job and my dad will ring me and just go, well, I hope you don't send an invoice for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Who needs critics for your family can just yeah. bring you back yeah. down to earth. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. No, so it's good. So, I, yeah, I think that I do often put myself down, but I would do that versus putting someone else down. And if I do, I'm not really being mean. I'm just making a joke to me. Like yeah. I'll make a joke about my big boobs or I'll make a joke about, you know, that sort of thing, I, I wouldn't, I won't be nasty to myself. Yeah, and I think it's really important when people are starting to put themselves out there to find that lightness in a way that still is uplifting themselves yeah. as they're going through yeah. that process. 
So I'm a scientist and a researcher and I've gotten to the point where I think once you get three, you've kind of got a critical mass. And a couple of weeks ago, I spoke with Magdalena Rose and she has a husband called, a good mate of yours, Darren. You have a husband called Darren and I have a husband called Darren. So I think we now have scientific proof that Darrens are the greatest husbands in the world. They are the greatest husbands in the world. (laughs) So how did you meet your Darren? I walked into a bar. It's actually the best story ever. So... I am, I've been divorced, so I I got divorced and I thought I'd get snapped up, like, hello, what, it'll <laughs> take a number, people, form an orderly queue. Uh, no, no, I was single for nearly seven years after my divorce. And so one of my girlfriends rang and said, oh, look, we should go. There's this live music venue in Newtown, which is kind of a hippie section of, of Sydney, um, kind of like the valley in Brisbane. Um the valley, how it used to be. Now it's so nice there. I'm, oh, I'm surprised yeah, how it's been. Yeah. Incredible. Anyway, she's like, come and check it out. And I'm, and I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm not really into music. I'm not really into Newtown. She's like, no, no, they're doing a burlesque show and it's Batman-themed burlesque. And I'm like, yes, I should see that. So basically we turned up, there were six girls, and my friend knew the owner, so we had a really nice table that backed onto where the sound desk was, and that's where Darren was working. And the second I saw him, I went shy. Like, I couldn't speak. So much so that one of my girlfriends was like, have you had a stroke? (laughs) What is wrong with you? And I was just like, oh, my God, he's like my dream guy. I love that you're looking around now, even in the studio, going, (gasps) is he going to be looking? (laughs) And we we didn't actually talk. So we smiled at each other. He was working, obviously. And then as we were leaving, like, we thanked the owner for the seats. And I said, so, handsome bald guy at the sound desk. Is he straight? Is he single? Because you have to ask both of those questions. And he went, yes, yes. And he's a really nice guy. I'm like, well, hook a sister up. So, um, and then I went overseas the next day. Isn't that typical as well? It was my friend Kate Waterhouse. Mm-hmm. It was her wedding in Italy. So I went to Italy. Then I had met up with some other friends in Barcelona. Then I went to Dubai. Like I had, had you spoken to him by this no, stage? No, no, no. So just a smile. So I kind of just smiled and Planted then the nothing happened. No, but I, mm-hmm. you know, I came back and I, and my girlfriend was like, "Oh, I, I've been playing matchmaker, and I think this guy Darren's actually great for you." And I'm like, "You know what? He could be retarded." Like I didn't even hear him speak. Moments gone. She said, oh, that's a shame because I just gave him your number. Yikes. And he rang. He didn't text, which was so nice. And then my parents came to visit and I'm not going to dump my parents to go on a date. Like I love them so much and I don't see see them enough because they live in Queensland. And um, so Darren and I were texting and speaking each day for 10 days before we actually had a date. So we'd kind of gone through the whole, what movies do you like? You know, the whole dating thing. I felt very sort of Jane Eyre. We've <laughs> um, <laughs> poems to each other. Exactly. <laughs> and then um, he, because he works six nights a week at this venue, he was like, look, I can't wait until Monday to have a date. So come to my place after your parents leave on Saturday. I'll cook you lunch. And then I have to be at work at four. So no funny business. So I'm like, oh, what do you wear on a day date? So I went and had my hair blow-dried, then I messed it up so it didn't look like I'd had it blow-dried. <laughs> and I'm driving to his place, and I had the GPS on, and I was looking, and I turned into his street, and I looked up, and he was standing in the middle of the road with a long-stem red rose. Mm-hmm. It was like a rom-com. Winner. Yeah. Winner. <laughs> and then, yeah, and it was basically on. Like, within three months, we moved in together, oh. and 
It's just been the best. And we are complete opposites. He's shy. He hates the limelight. He's the behind the scenes guy. I'm, he's like the workhorse. I'm the show pony. (laughs) That's that's kind of what it is. But he loves me and supports me and grounds me and wants nothing but the best for me. It's a pretty amazing feeling. I love a good love story. Yeah. And especially as a, like every day where you get to kind of step yeah. into, into that space. So now working together. Yeah, that's so that's working. been a big change. So I'll, at first it was really hard because we had gone literally from him working six nights a week. So we were, I was had so much freedom and I have now realised I need alone time because I tend to give so much when I'm on TV and when I'm talking to people that I kind of need to recharge a bit. And so then being together 24-7, I found quite hard. He was fine. Um, But he's also a bit of a loner in that he doesn't have lots of friends. I have lots of friends, so I'm trying to catch up with everyone and I'm busy and all that sort of stuff. And we kind of just came to this sort of happy agreement of... He didn't have to come with me out to see my friends every time. So he got some alone time at home with that. And now he's taken on some extra work. So he's out doing some more night work as well. So I've got a bit of alone time. So it feels very grown up and adult to go, wow, I know my personality well enough now that I need I need to sit here and watch Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) (laughs) And it's good for us if I do that. It is good for both of us, exactly. (laughs) I won't be a nightmare. Yeah, there's a maturity and there's a reflection, I think, of uh, when the people who love you the most who call you out on on some of that sort of stuff. I know when I'm in my height of overwhelm, it's my Darren that goes... You need to go to a cafe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's a part of me that goes, what? And there's yeah, part of me that goes, dare you? You're, you're completely, completely right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I love yeah, that. Stepping into that that kind of space. So you have been very vocal on a, on a number of things and one of the things that you continue to talk about is that you are child-free by choice. Yes, and I know and I've read that some of that is a frustration that we even have to talk yeah. about it in 2016. Like, why is that even a thing? Why is it even taboo? Mm. Why is it taboo, do you think? It's because you're going against the norm. Everyone expects you to leave school, go to have, get a degree, get a, do a job, get married, have kids. Like, there is just that pattern, pattern and that is what everyone's expected to do. Um, And it's really hard because it is such a personal question that I've learnt now to realise that often people aren't being nosy. It's just a natural question that they ask. And so... Was that always the case or did that feel like it was nosy? it It felt nosy for me because I knew that my answer wasn't what they wanted, people to, wanted hear. to hear. And so when I was younger, I used to say, oh, I've got some fertility issues. But then it'd be a whole conversation about, you should try IVF, have you frozen your eggs? And, and I'm like, I, I actually just don't want them. You know, <laughs> I really don't. Um, so I've, I have only been speaking about it for five years, but I'm 43 now and I have never wanted kids, but it, I didn't really have any other role models growing up of women who spoke about it and I felt like a freak. And so I actually even took myself off to a counsellor and said, what's wrong with me? Was I abused as a child, you know? <laughs> and he's just like, no, you're fine. <laughs> it's actually okay to not want what everyone else wants. Um, but it has been actually really 
difficult because particularly with trolls and Twitter, um, I've had some of the most horrendous things said to me and like a woman who doesn't want kids is not a real woman and thank God you're not having kids because, you know, you've got an Mm. ugly soul or how dare you not have kids because you're not breeding future taxpayers. What? Wow. (laughs) Like, really? Um, And some of it is just really, really hurtful and purposely hurtful and, again, my husband is fantastic. He never gets asked about kids. Yeah, He's, like, the only person that ever asked him was his mum and that's it. And he said no and she went, okay, (laughs) you know. Yeah, there's Um, still that divide that it's your responsibility or, you know, woman's responsibility and so therefore you carry the burden of that. And then you get, oh, you're so selfish. Are you too selfish to have kids? It's just like, hang on, isn't wanting to create a mini-me pretty selfish? (laughs) Like, um, so it has been, it's just been a really constant struggle and I... When I first wrote about it five years ago, the 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 horror I was I wasn't prepared for the amount of negative um, feedback, but I also had really positive feedback. And what I've had to learn is, I remember the negative word for word, but you've got to take the positive on as well. Like I had a woman um, emailed me because I was at the newspaper then, and she was just like. Thank you so much. I'm Greek. I have a very traditional family. I've never wanted kids and I didn't know how to raise it with them. So I just took your article and put it on the dining room table. They read it and then we had a discussion and we all cried. And But if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to do. And I'm like, then that's all worth it. Yeah. I can deal with the trolls thinking about that I've helped someone else. That so, my words have helped that yeah, conversation. Yeah, and I, and I don't really like, like it's not something I enjoy talking about, but I feel like a bit of a responsibility to talk about it because I just sort of think of younger me and go, if someone else had been talking about it and making it particularly a normal choice, then I wouldn't have gone through a lot of the angst that I went through and worrying that I was a freak and what's wrong with me. It's just like that's a choice. And now, like, look at some of the child-free women in the world. Oprah, Ellen... Diane Sawyer, like these are all women yeah. who I admire and I want to be like. I'm like, they haven't had kids either and let's normalize let's it. Let's make, make it, it okay. okay. Yeah. 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 And I love that take on uh let's that that sense that I you know, my choice then makes me a freak. Yeah. But how do we put a voice to that for the other yeah. people around us? Whatever that choice is, whether it's, you know, not to have kids or it's another choice. Whatever your choice is. Let's celebrate choice. Yeah, yeah. Let's put that it we out have there. the choice that we can make those decisions. Like I'm I'm pride myself on always being the one who has uncomfortable conversations. Like I will go deep. You know, I, I won't stick on the surface. But I kind of think if that's what I'm going to pride myself on, then I have to let other people go deep with me as well. So fair's fair. Yeah, yeah. And that criticism is really, really hard and I think it stops a lot of people, you know. Yeah, I completely putting, understand. Putting and sometimes, out. you know, my, if I, if like if there's some news reason. So there was a woman in Britain who was campaigning to be sterilised at uh, 30 years old. And there was this outcry, how dare she, you know, and it was just like, hang on, she's been able to have a baby legally for more than a decade. So she could make that life choice with no judgment, 
why isn't it the other way? So I got, I wrote an article about it and how I was on her side and vroom, like it just went crazy again. And then radio stations are, are calling saying, can you come on and talk about it? And I, I did a few and then Darren just went, you're a little bit jangly, it's enough. Just we'll get the next news cycle. Like you're not giving up on everyone, yeah. but enough because I can see that I think jangly is the best way to describe it. I just like my nerves are a little bit because yep. I'm I've having to expose myself and expose myself and expose myself and defend myself and then be open to criticism. It's a hard situation to be in and then you need time to close back up and heal and get strong again and then you go, yeah, I'll do it again. In a month. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. let me be able to bring yeah. that strong voice again. Otherwise, yeah. jangling is a beautiful way jangling. of saying it. <laughs> what are your, are there kind of three other ways that you look after yourself and don't lose sight of who you are, even amongst the busyness of what's going on? Um, I think my biggest thing is having real friends. Not, I, I worked in an industry that can be very, very fake and I have a really good bullshit radar. And so if my bullshit detector's going off, then I'm not going to give time to that. But at the same time, you can meet amazing people like Magdalena. So Magdalena Rose is one of my besties and we just met out on the social scene, you know, drinking drinking champagne and eating canapes. And then after a couple of months of that, where we'd had very shallow cocktail conversations, she just went, do you want to go on a friend date? I'm like, oh, my God, yes, I do. <laughs> and it was fantastic. And that's kind of what you have to do. You suss it out and then you... Go deep. Go deep. And then so we've, yeah, we're very close. And I have my solid, solid friends who've been there, not since school or anything like that, but they uh, have worked in the media in various levels. So they know what it's like. They know what the pressures are like. And they know when I've got a fat head and I need to be pulled back into place. We all need that friend. (laughs) So good friends and making time for friends. Um, I know when the business first started, I was working seven days a week and I found that, again, I wasn't getting filled up out. So I had to make sure that making time for friends was important. And my other thing is I plan holidays. I plan holidays religiously. Like it is, I already have like four holidays planned for next year. So... That's something that I love traveling. I get so excited. And even if you're in the middle of doing accounts and calling up people who haven't paid invoices, I can be saying in my head, in five weeks, I'm going to be in Iceland. So that is a really important thing for me. And then finally, I exercise and I exercise hard. So I don't just go for a walk. I like really go to spin and sweat it out. Um, And I find that that really helps my mental health. Can I do a fourth? Totally, (laughs) totally. We can have bonus plus one. Go. So the other thing is I do is I've started this thing called walk and talk and it's like a walk and talk mentoring. So we don't just chat about what restaurants we like or whatever. It's So I'm having a problem with my business with people paying invoices. And so brainstorm it with two or three other friends who also have businesses And it's amazing by taking the problem walking, I don't know what it is. I don't know how or there must be some science behind it. There's a huge amount of science coming around. around. (laughs) Yeah, neuroscience, the the connections that happen in our brain and the creative thinking that happens when we're physically moving our body. And when you think about it, historically, that's probably how we do things. And yet what we do is we sit down at a board meeting 
at a table yeah. and we go, right, be as creative as you possibly can be, exactly. right? With so no windows that. around you no. or anything. Yes. <laughs> and you've got half an hour go. Yeah. So I love that. So getting out. So I out. do that. And, I, and part of that too is I now, I mentor um, younger female journos because I kind of feel like it's been tough coming up through the ranks as a woman in the media. So I want to create a safe place. So we do walk and talks and there's like 10 of us. But it's like, how's your month been? What's and we also celebrate the wins, which I think women don't do as well. And I want the girls that I mentor to be their own girls club and realise that they don't have to compete with each other. There's enough cake for everyone. And that if they hear of a job, they can let each other know and just create that little network. So by the time they go through, I mean, already I'm sure that they'll be employing me, you know, <laughs> because they're all bloody Gen Ys. Um but I, I, I like that idea. I like the idea of giving back a little bit and making some changes that I wish I'd had in my life when I was younger. And you get to see your own problems through their eyes, which yeah. brings that new kind of idea yeah. anyway, so it comes back to us. Yeah. Look, I feel like we could kind of keep chatting. I <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to come full circle. So the name of this podcast is called Stand Out Life. Yeah. When I offer that term up to you, what does it mean for you to live a standout life? Um, I'm actually really proud of my life. So I think that I am living a standout life. I used to struggle, like people say, do you know, do you consider yourself successful? And I'd instantly go, no, oh, why would you say that? Um, and then I realized how disrespectful that is to me and all of the work I've done. Like I am a girl from Kingaroy who was never given a leg up, who didn't have a single contact, who didn't have a dad who knew someone None of that. Didn't go to the right school. And I'm doing all right. So I'm actually pretty proud of myself that I am living a stand-up life and I'm doing it without a hand up. It's been such a delight chatting <laughs> with you. Thank you so much, Shelley, for your time. Can we just go to the pub now and have a, have a wine? <laughs> <laughs> if you've enjoyed today's episode, then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book, called Stand Out, a real world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. You can grab a copy by heading to my website, www.alisonhill.com.au. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes and give this podcast a quick rating so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. As always, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life.